the 14th chapter, and uh, we'll begin at verse number 28, Matthew 14 and 28. The title of the sermon tonight is, Why Did You Doubt? Part 2. Amen. Why Did You Doubt? Part 2. Praise God. As you turn there, let me talk just a little bit uh, about this subject. Um, We mentioned last week that uh, preaching and teaching on the subject of faith is one of our, uh, I think, not just favorite assignments, but one of our most important assignments. We understand that our lives were created by God uh, to be lived from a foundation of faith, hope, and love, uh, understanding how to practically apply uh, faith and confident expectation and love to our lives is one of the um, more important things that, that we could study and, and develop an understanding um, in. And then when it comes to the subject of faith, it's a, it's a, it's a broad subject. But what we've really been focused in on for at least some time here uh, at Heritage is how to use the measure of faith that we've been given as a tool how to use the measure of faith that we've been given to, to receive, uh, to, to, as Jesus taught us, to move obstacles out of our way, uh, to, to literally do the impossible, move the immovable, and use our faith to do that. This is exactly what Jesus did, the example that he set for us in his life, and then taught us a lot of things about this. But beginning, I don't know, a week or so ago, we, we began to examine the subject of doubt. And we said that doubt is to our faith what kryptonite is to Superman. And that there are a lot of God's people who have learned and studied and grown and developed in the areas of faith, but have remained somewhat ignorant uh, of the subject of doubt. And the Bible speaks of those who put their money in a sack with a hole in it. And so when we invest this effort and time into growing and developing our faith, but don't understand how doubt is undermining our faith, uh, it's creating a situation where we're not making as much progress as we could or should be, um, and in some cases, not making much or any progress at all. So... The title of the sermon is taken from this account uh, out of Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, we've made this point. It was something that I believe the Holy Spirit revealed to me many years ago. um, And we've made this point consistently over the years. Uh, I personally believe that O ye of little faith is a wrong or incomplete translation. The same Greek word translated little could have, and I believe should have, been translated brief. It's not that Peter represented or displayed uh, a small amount of faith. 
I believe he displayed a tremendous amount of faith, but only did so for a very brief or limited period of time. So when Jesus says, O ye of little faith, I believe he was saying to Peter, O ye of brief faith, because as long as Peter was in faith with no doubting, he was able to walk on the water just like Jesus was able to walk on the water. So they get back into the boat, and Jesus being a master... And master is more than just a, a, a term of respect. Um, it, it literally means, like in, in, our, uh, in our culture today, uh, you would think of someone like a master electrician who would have other people learning under him. So when Jesus was a master, he was literally the master. Uh, the master of life, the, the master over demonic spirits. The ma- in other words, he had mastered it, okay? And so because he was the master and Peter was a disciple, Jesus was always teaching him. Jesus was, was always, uh, and not just Peter, but anybody who would enter into that kind of relationship with Jesus, um, there was no moment that was not a teachable moment. And so, you know, we sometimes look at this and we say, well, man, Jesus, you're kind of hard on him. Could you not have patted him on the back or say, you know, good job or any of that, but that was not the mode that Jesus was in. Jesus was in teacher mode. He was in master mode. And and so this was an opportunity uh, for Jesus to teach Peter some very important lessons about faith, but not just Peter, the other disciples who witnessed this event, to teach them some important lessons about faith, but not just Peter and the disciples, but to teach you and me tonight some very important lessons on the subject of faith. So when he says, O ye of brief faith, again, we know that that Peter displayed tremendous faith, but he only did so for a very brief period of time. And of course, what interrupted his tremendous display of faith was he allowed doubt to enter into the situation. And the moment the doubt entered in, Peter began to, to sink. So we know that he was walking on the water because of his faith. Now, this is important. I want to remind you again that when the woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was made whole, Jesus didn't say, look what I did, I healed her. Jesus said, woman, your faith made you whole. In other words, it was this particular situation where this woman acted on her faith, used her faith to lay hold of something that we have no record Jesus was coming to knock on her door and give to her. She, by faith, came out of her house. She, by faith, pushed through the crowd. She, by faith, saying within herself over and over again, if I but touch the wings of his garment because there's healing in his wings, I'll be made whole. And so when she received the healing, Jesus turned around and wanted to know who it was. Um, And he said, your faith made you whole. So although we don't have Jesus saying those words to Peter, they're certainly implied here that Peter walked on the water because of faith, not because Jesus gave him the gift of walking on the water. Are you following what I'm saying? It wasn't that Jesus says, here is a water walking gift. And Peter, you are a water walker from this point forward. No, Peter walked on the water because of his faith. You say, well, Pastor Mark, how can you be so certain about that? Because the moment doubt entered in and weakened his faith, he began to sink. So what was holding him on top of that water? It wasn't magic. It was faith. 
Amen. And so the doubt entered in, weakened the faith. The moment the faith was weakened, and I'm not trying to just oversimplify this, but if if you could imagine some invisible force under uh, Peter's feet. In other words, Peter, you say he was walking on water. He was walking on faith, amen, or we could say walking in faith, an invisible force, amen, that Peter was walking on. Um, that was keeping him from sinking beneath the water. And, and so, again, if, if you could imagine that, that faith, all of a sudden it beginning to, to, to tremble and, and, and shrink and shrivel and weaken as, as doubt entered in to the situation, the, the very thing that was supporting Peter began to literally come out from under him and cause him to sink down. Now, I'm offering to you tonight that we have this recorded for multiple reasons, but I think one of the main ones is for us to see a very um, practical way of how faith works in every situation. Um, In other words, I believe that, that there are times in my life, perhaps you can recognize times in your life, where like Peter, we were very strong in faith, tremendous faith, bold in faith, but for however long of a period of time, uh, and then doubt entered into the situation, and, and that, that force of faith that was producing results in our lives began to literally disintegrate um, under our feet, and the results that we were experiencing by faith uh, tended to sink or go down with it. Now, I love the Word of God, and, and I know that you do as well, uh, you're here on a cold Wednesday night to, to, to worship Jesus and to learn from the Word. Amen. Tuning in uh, with us online. Um, but think about, you know, what Jesus said. Jesus didn't throw words around just to throw them around. Um, he, he wasn't poking fun at Peter. He wasn't like trying to embarrass him. He was trying to teach him. He was trying to teach the disciples and he was trying to teach you and me. And so when he asked him the question, why did you doubt? Okay, this was a, a, a question that Jesus intended for Peter to think about and answer. And a question that he intends for you and me to think about and answer. Now, let's get something straight tonight, okay? I would much rather talk about Peter's doubt than my own. Amen. I would much rather talk about him and where he missed it and learn about him and where he missed it and talk about his doubt than talk about my own. But if, if we can look at his situation, I think it will provide some valuable insight, uh, for our own situation. And so Jesus asks him, why did you doubt? Amen. Now, one of the first things that sticks out to me from this, this question is that Jesus, again, is implying that Peter could have continued without doubting. In other words, if somebody asks you why you did something, okay, what is not stated but implied in that question is there was another option for you. There was another way for you to do it, right? Why did you load the dishwasher that way, okay? Well, Somebody asking you that question, what's implied? That they think there was not only another way to do it, but more than likely they think there was a better way for you to load the dishwasher. Or else if they would have not have asked the question, right? Are you with me? 
Okay, I'm just believing that you are. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to wait for you to say amen tonight. All right, so why did you load the dishwasher that way? What's implied? The person asking is like, you didn't have to load it that way. There was another way that you could have loaded it, perhaps a, a better way. Okay. Now, if there's only one absolute way to load the dishwasher and it can't be loaded any other way but one way, then you never ask somebody why they loaded it that way, right? Because there's only one way to load one. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Only one, you know, why did you load the revolver that way? There's only one way to load a revolver, right? You open the cylinder and you put the bullets in. Uh, with a dishwasher, man, you can load it all kinds of ways, not a revolver. Are you following me? Okay. So, by, by Jesus asking him why he doubted, th- this, again, is not um, Jesus poking fun or trying to humiliate or embarrass him any more than he would be trying to poke fun at, humiliate, or embarrass you if he asked you the same question or me the same question about my doubt or your doubt. I think, really, if, if we pay really close attention, this is actually good news because he's saying that doubt does not have to be inevitable. I think, you know, it's back to, I'm a believer, what do I do? I believe. I'm a believer, I believe. I believe with no doubting. And there's a lot of folks who don't even believe that's possible. Notice the subtleness of how the enemy has deceived somebody who doesn't believe (laughs) that you can actually believe and not doubt. Did I lose you on that one? I'm not trying to lose you. Okay? So, But follow close because I'm making some quick turns. Okay? Amen. No, I'm just kidding. Praise God. So, So when he, when he, says why did you doubt he's he's basically saying to us and to peter you didn't have to you could have kept on walking son you you didn't have to doubt you you had you had an 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 option here to do something other than doubt so when when asked why what jesus is really saying here is what was the reason what was the cause what was the purpose what was behind it what led to it, okay? And, and I think there is tremendous value in us answering that question and understanding that question. When he asked Peter, why did you doubt? He, he is literally communicating to Peter and to you and me tonight that doubt is not inevitable and it is preventable. We can prevent doubt. Well, I don't know about you, but that's good news. Doubt can be prevented. Doubt can be stopped. It's not a foregone conclusion that everybody doubts and so you're going to doubt. We can actually come to a place that we do not doubt. Amen. So again, it would have been different. um, Like if there's only one way to load a dishwasher, there's no need to ask the question, why did you load it that way? Okay. So what if Jesus had said something like this? (laughs) Wow, Peter, you made it a whole lot further than I thought you would. Again, I mean, you know, um, or, or, or how about this one? <laughs> Look, man, don't feel bad. I knew it was only a matter of time before you sank. No, again, Jesus is not consoling. He's coaching, right? He, he, he's not there to pat him on the back. He's there to coach him. He's there to teach him, okay? So when we consider all the things that Jesus could have said in that moment, things that we might have said in that moment, it's not what Jesus said. Jesus is like, hey man, why did you doubt? You, you, know, you didn't have to. You could have prevented it. It's not inevitable. But you could have continued to walk. If he walked five steps, 20 steps, he could have walked 2,000 steps. He could have walked all the way across that water. 
Now, we need to understand some things about doubt so we can be in a better position to defend ourselves against it. Okay? I've come to realize that believing is not nearly as hard as not doubting. Just, I'm giving you a little bit of review from last week. We've said a few times already now that faith is a two-sided coin, only believe doubting nothing. Believing with no doubting will move mountains in your life, but the man who doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Faith involves using something you cannot see to change something you can. Faith is believing you've already received something you don't yet see or feel. So if that's what faith is, then what is doubt? And I don't just mean like your opinion. What is doubt according to the Bible? And so we see that the Bible defines doubt and even uh, gives us uh, uh, a comparison. uh, What's the word? Analogy, metaphor. I get all those confused sometimes. Um, examples to, to look at. Um, and so, first of all, we see that doubt is or means to waver. To waver. And, and this is the example that, that uh, the illustration that, that the Holy Spirit gave us through James. And he used this idea of someone being tossed like on waves back and forth. And he says that he, he who doubts, is, it, he wavers. And is tossed about like a wave. And he's a double-minded man. And because he doubts, he should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Alright? So doubt means wavering. Doubt also, by definition, means to vacillate between two positions. Or we might say waffle. And, and so the idea behind vacillating or waffling is one minute we think it's this way, the next minute we think it's this way. We keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Again, this is similar to the idea of a wave, up and down, back and forth, or to vacillate um, between two positions. Okay? This is one of my favorite definitions of doubt. Doubt means to be in strife with oneself. So you can have a disagreement with another person and that disagreement lead to an argument, lead to strife between you and that person. And listen, not that it's our favorite thing, but we've all experienced that. And if you haven't, God bless you. Come see me after service and tell me how you do it, right? Um, but, but, you know, this is like that, only there's nobody else. You're in strife with yourself, okay? Now, when I say there's nobody else, we need to add, you know, this um, asterisks by that statement because we know that doubt does not come without assistance. In other words, we know that the enemy is, is, is behind that. He's trying to put these defiant, contradiction, contradictory, opposing thoughts in your mind. Um, and he certainly will feed those to you as long as, as you will listen to him. But, but doubt, in its, again, to, to, we're trying to understand what it is. Um, the question we're ultimately going to answer is, why did Peter doubt? Because if we can understand why Peter doubted, we can understand why we doubted. But before we get to the why, let's get to the what. What is doubt? Doubt is wavering. It's vacillating between two positions. It means to be in strife with oneself. That's why I told you the ultimate barometer for being in faith is being in re- at rest. 
If, if you're at rest and you have peace about a situation, that's a pretty good sign you're in faith about it. If, if, if you're still anxious and in turmoil, can't sleep, worried, stressed, all that, that's a pretty good sign that you're not in faith about it. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just trying to tell you um, that, that being at rest is a sign that because you enter into rest, the Bible says, by faith. Okay. Now, these are, I think, obvious, but let's go ahead and, and state them. Uh, doubt means to be uncertain, to lack confidence, or to hesitate to believe. To hesitate to believe. And, and I think that last one probably could almost have a sermon all to itself, to hesitate to believe. Um, how many times in, in my life, how many times in your life, has the Lord spoken to us about doing something and we hesitated? You know, we like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Amen. Um, I'm, listen, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there, okay? I, I've never bought stock. I mean, I have like retirement funds and things that people do whatever, mutual funds or whatever. But I really felt like, you know, several weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me uh, to buy some Tesla stock. He even told me what I felt like was the amount that I was supposed to buy. And I talked to my son-in-law about it. He knows a lot about Jake knows a lot about that stuff. And, um, and you know, he thought it was a really good deal and that I should do it. And, and I didn't. And the stock that I was going to buy at $400 a share is now at $649 a share. Amen. All right. I hesitated. Are you saying, I hesitated. I doubted. You know, I'm like, well, I'm, maybe that's just me. I'm like, you know, I'm praying about it last night because it's, it's kind of bothering me. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and uh, uh, of course, John Mark, you know, he thought I bought it. He's like calling me. He texted me last night to congratulate me. I'm like, I didn't do it, son. You know, please don't rub it in, you know. Um, and I'm talking to the Lord about it. I'm like, Lord, you're gonna, you know, i got to get some peace about this, you know, because you know, I would have made almost $7,000 in two months, okay? If I'd have done what he told me to do, <laughs> right? you know, I'm trying to get some, you know, some, I'm trying to get some peace about this because it's kind, of, it's kind of starting to bug me a little bit, you know, um, right? And and it's like he's like, son, when have I ever told you to buy stock? And I'm like, never. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I mean, it's like, you know, why'd you doubt? You know, I mean, it's it's not like you know, over the years, I've never even, to be honest with you, I've never really had a desire to buy. Stock. To be honest with you, I would have to ask Jake how to buy stock. I don't know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I hesitated. Amen. Of course, John Mark said, you know, there might come a day, Dad, when you're looking at the 650 a share like you're looking at the 400 now. So maybe you ought to listen to my son now. Praise God. Amen. Y'all still with me up in the house tonight? All right. Praise God. <sighs> Hesitate. Remember when he spoke to Peter? He said, they're coming. I've sent them. And they're knocking at your door now. Go with them and do not doubt anything. Doubting nothing. Don't hesitate. Don't question. Do it. Go. So many times that, that pause, that hesitation is just enough for the enemy to get the doubt in and take the wind out of our sails of faith. Okay? Now, we're continuing to answer the question, what is doubt? And so far, we've, sat, we've said it means wavering, vacillating between two opinions, back and forth between two opinions, to be in strife with oneself, to be uncertain, to lack confidence, or to hesitate to believe. 
Now, a simple definition of faith, and I know we're, we're defining doubt, but if we understand what faith is in a simple way, it'll perhaps open up and make it even more clear for us what doubt is. So a simple definition of faith, and perhaps my favorite, is, is fully persuaded. In, in other words, to, to, to genuinely be in faith means that you have become fully persuaded. And, and we learn this from Romans 4, I mean, among other places, but where it's most clear and most obvious is in the life of Abraham. When Abraham um, is, uh, is, is being, you know, God's promised him and he's, he's, he's struggling with this whole idea that him and Sarah are going to have a son. And the Bible says that, again, over a period of time, he became fully persuaded Fully persuaded. He didn't begin at a point of fully persuaded. He began laughing at God when God promised him that they would have a child. It seemed so, there was so much doubt that it seemed preposterous. It it seemed ridiculous that it could ever be so. But again, in, in, you know, in the fog of their laughter, uh, the, the, the voice of the Lord said to them, is there anything too hard for God? And I believe that that was the thing that Abraham used to give glory to God, to feed his faith, until he came to a point to where he was fully persuaded. So think about it now. If um, a simple definition of faith is fully persuaded or fully convinced, anything less than fully persuaded is doubt. Right? Now, there's a king in, in in the book of Acts, King Agrippa, and, um, and he hears Paul's testimony. He thinks that he's going to interrogate Paul as, as an authority figure over Paul. And as he begins to ask Paul some questions, the Spirit of God on Paul begins to share Paul's testimony. Paul begins to share his testimony. It's anointed to the point that King Agrippa basically shuts him down, tells him to take Paul away. And this is what he said. You almost persuade me, almost persuade me to become a Christian. In other words, something was happening inside of, of, of Agrippa. Faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God's dealt to every man the measure of faith. The, the, the faith in Agrippa's heart is being activated and aroused and stirred. And, and, and if it's, a, if it's a, like a coal of fire, it's being blown upon. It's heating up inside of him. And now he's at the point to where he is this close to calling on the name of the Lord to receive salvation for himself. And so he says, almost thou persuadest me. Okay? So is almost persuaded the same thing as fully persuaded? It's not a trick question. The answer is no. Okay? So if you're almost persuaded, and, and again, I, I'm not saying that we can, well, I guess maybe we could. Um, if fully persuaded is 100% and almost persuaded is 89%, what makes up the remaining 11%? Doubt. Hesitation, questioning, uncertainty. Are you following me? And I think this is where, listen to me please. I'm I'm not, this isn't about judging. This isn't about um, condemning. This, This isn't meant to be like, you know, some mic drop sermon where, you know, just leave everybody laying around with their leg twitching, you know. No, it's not to beat you up, okay? But I think this is where a lot of people get very frustrated, right? Because they're almost persuaded. 
and they think almost persuaded should count for something. You know, I mean, it's like, come on, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, I mean, it's like, what's up here? And so if, if we're 89% of anything, you know, we think that's more than enough to carry the day. But see, again, Jesus said, with no doubting in your heart. He didn't say with just a little bit of doubting. Are you following what I'm saying? Jesus didn't say, if you only doubt a little bit, you'll be okay. He said with no doubting. You understand no means zero. It doesn't mean 3%, 11%, 6%. So fully persuaded. Come on now, fully persuaded. This is faith. So if we're going to understand what doubt is, we have to understand that doubt is the balance between, you know, fully, you know, where we are right now and fully persuaded. So we could say, again, with Abraham as our example, sweet Jesus, with Abraham, <laughs> shouldn't look at that watch. With Abraham as our, does it seem like I've been talking seven minutes? I mean, that's what it seems like to me, but I haven't been. I've been talking a little more than longer than that, right? So <laughs> praise God. All right, so if Abraham is our example, and we're going to, I'm not, I'm only doing this for illustration purposes, okay? I'm just trying to help us understand, me understand, you understand, all of us understand. So if Abraham, if he's laughing at God out loud, you know, I mean, God says this to me, he goes, <laughs> what he said. I mean, that to me is like zero faith, 100% doubt, okay? I mean, if you're like laughing at the point and then the, 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 the angel of the Lord says, to him, why did you laugh? And then you go, oh, we, we didn't laugh. You know, now you're lying. Right? Okay, so that's where they started. But the Bible says that they begin to give glory to God. They begin to meditate the promises of God. They begin to confess the promises of God. They begin to say of themselves what God said about them. And notice what's happening. They're moving the needle. They're going from, from, from zero faith to 100% doubt. To At some point, they crossed a threshold, and they had more faith than they had doubt. They were almost persuaded. And then they came to a point, Abraham came to a point, to where he was fully persuaded. You could not convince him otherwise all right so see we look at this and we go yeah but that was abraham but see here's the thing the bible says he's our example we learn from him so if if being fully convinced with no doubting in his heart was what moved this mountain in abraham's life who are we to think we can get by with 68 percent faith and 32% doubt, and that should somehow get the job done. Now listen to me, please. I know some of you are hearing this, and it's back to where we started this message. You're like, well, well then who can do it? Why are we even trying? But let's go back to Jesus' question. Why, why are you doubting 1%? Why did you doubt? You don't have to. It's not inevitable. It's preventable. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, so... Let's, let's try to click off just a little bit more of this, can we? I, man, I, I have been doing this. I, I know I'll say this, and I probably just need to keep on talking. I have been preaching for so many years, and I still am clueless at how long it takes me. I mean, I'm wondering if i got enough notes, and I, have not, I haven't even got through the introduction yet. So anyway, praise God. So that is 
what is doubt, but we're trying to get to why did Peter doubt. Before we get to why did Peter doubt, let's try to get this next one, at least part of it. Before we answer why he doubted, let's get to where he doubted. So we've, we've said what is doubt. So when Peter doubted, what did he do? Now, where did he doubt? Now, I think that's pretty, pretty straightforward, but let's just cover it for sake of covering it, okay? Romans chapter 10, verse 10, the first part of that verse, it says, with the heart man believes. So I've been telling you for years, I'll keep telling you, faith is a function of the heart. Faith is a function of the heart. It's, it's, it's something on the inside of you. It's, it's, it's not, although the mind is involved, it, faith doesn't operate through the brain. It operates in the heart. So faith is a function of the heart. Remember what Jesus said. If you believe and do not doubt in your heart. So Satan is the one who's trying to manipulate doubt. Remember, believing is easy. It's the not doubting that's hard. And the reason the not doubting is hard is because you didn't wake up in a neutral world this morning. We live in a world where there's a very real darkness. There's a very real devil who is trying to manipulate you. And he's trying to influence you and your thinking. He, in other words, he's working against your faith because your faith is the victory that will overcome him. So, Jesus said, if you believe and do not doubt in your heart. So when we say, um, where did Peter doubt? That answer is pretty clear, I think. Peter doubted in his heart. Now, why is this significant? Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. um, It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So, since we're asking and answering questions tonight... If Peter doubted in his heart, and by the way, that's where you doubt and where I doubt, okay? It's doubt in the heart that prevents the faith that God has given you from producing its intended result in your life. So if Peter doubted in his heart, even after having enough faith to walk on water, I think we need to answer this question. How did the doubt get into Peter's heart? Because it clearly wasn't there while he walked on the water. So it wasn't there, and then it got there. He doubted in his heart. When he doubted in his heart, the force field of faith that was keeping him afloat began to disintegrate underneath his feet, and he began to sink. So it was doubt in his heart. That's where he doubted. So how did the doubt that was not in his heart get in his heart? So this is what we've said, and we'll say it again. Doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. Doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. And by mind, I mean by some uh, process of, of thought. Okay? So doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. That's why if you never learn to manage your thoughts, you will never keep doubt out of your heart. So let me, let's go back, praise God. Um, Christy, put slide 34 up one more time, Proverbs 4 and 23, and we'll finish right here. Matter of fact, why don't you stand? Praise God. Are you getting anything out of this tonight? Praise God. All right, we're going we're gonna to continue with this. We've got 
we got some other ones. We're going we're gonna to wind up with why he doubted. All right? But, but let's go back to this verse. I got so many favorite verses, I, I can't even keep up with all of them. This is, this is one of my all-time favorites, okay? Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. There is so much revealed to us about life and quality of life and why things are the way they are in life and our lives revealed to us in this verse right here. Because what we see is that, is that what we're experiencing in life is, is not something that's coming from around us to us, but it's coming out of us from us. It's, it's coming through you, okay? So let's say, you know, and sometimes, you know, people throw this idea or this, this phrase around, you know, man, he's got issues, okay? Or, or you know, that sister got some issues, you know. And, and what, what we're saying is there's some kind of dysfunction in their life. There's some kind of, of problem or issue in their life, okay? Well, notice, according to the Word of God, that issue is coming from their heart because from the heart spring forth the issues of life. If you never change what's going on in your heart, you can never change what's going on in your life, okay? That's why Jesus didn't come just to modify your behavior. He came to modify you. He came to change your heart, okay? But now notice the instructions here for you and me are to keep. The King James Version uses a different word, guard. Keep or guard your heart. Does it say do it casually? Does it say do it when you feel like it? Does it say do it when you're in a good mood? Does it say do it when you don't have any other, you know, Gomer Pyle reruns to watch? No, it says keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence. Because whatever makes its way into your heart is going to come back forth from your heart with some kind of issue in your life, right? So the doubt that made its way into Peter's heart, it got there because Peter didn't keep it out. Okay, so... (laughs) responsibility there's some responsibility here on our part you do realize that there are some things that you can strategically allow into your heart that will cause your faith to grow and cause you to be strong in faith that's abraham's lesson that's that's abraham's example he realized that there were certain things that he considered considering is something you do with your mind There were certain things that he could consider that as long as he considered those things, it swung the door open of his mind that allowed doubt to get into his heart. So what did he do? He learned to close that door and guard his heart, to to not allow those considerations in his mind to, to, you know, that would eventually, again, you can't consider something with your mind since your mind's part of your soul and your soul's part of your heart. He realized that as long as he considered those things, it would undermine and weaken back to that force field of faith. It would cause it to disintegrate, Right? I'm going out on a limb here, but I think that those of you who are listening to me now are mature enough to recognize this in your life, okay? When you're feeding on the Word of God, when you're listening to the Word of God, when, when you're faithful to, to, to church and to worship God, and you're receiving a, a steady diet of spiritual nutrition for your inward man, man, you, it, it's almost like you can feel that force of faith underneath your feet. 
And, and you've got to grip on things. And, 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 and I'm not saying that, that, the, that, that you know, trouble and things aren't going on around you, but you're sleeping soundly at night. You're, you're casting your care on the Lord. You're operating and living by faith. But then there are times, none of, none of us are proud of these times, you know, when we're not feeding ourselves. We're not receiving the Word of God. We're not hearing. We're not listening. We're not uh, hungering and thirsting after these things. And, and then it's like you're wondering if there is, is a God. It's like you can just almost feel the faith just, just, just dropping out from under you. Well, again, it, God's not doing that. It's, it's, it's how we're keeping or not keeping our own hearts. And it's creating these different issues in our lives. All right, I'm out of time 10 minutes ago. Father, you're good to us. Amen. Is he good to you tonight? Man, you're good to us, Lord. We say it, we keep saying it, we keep acknowledging it. And Lord, I, I thank you that we're, we're hearing Jesus ask us individually that question. Why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate? Why didn't you trust me? Father, I thank you that you're teaching us to trust you. You're teaching us, Father, not just to believe you, but to not doubt, to not question, to, to not vacillate, to not waver. Father, to become fully persuaded. And Lord, I thank you that as we, as we fight in this trial of our faith against our adversary and answer him and hold fast our confession, Father, that our faith is growing stronger and stronger. And what he meant to stop us is only serving to remove doubt from our hearts altogether. Father, I thank you that the challenges of 2020 and for those, Lord, who have clung to you and confessed your word and stood and believed, Father, it's causing our faith to be so strong for 2021. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that that doubt is preventable, it's not inevitable, and that we can rise above it and are rising above it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Tell somebody around you good things coming. Thank you for joining us live and in person. Thank you for joining us online tonight. You be blessed. Good things coming.